Welcome to Suspending the Rules, Bloomberg Government's weekly look at what's happening in Congress. Congress's sprint to the August recess takes a break next week as lawmakers return to their districts for the July 4th holiday, but not before a jam-packed week on Capitol Hill. Welcome to Suspending the Rules, a podcast from Bloomberg Government. I'm Adam Taylor. And I'm Danielle Parnas. The Senate this week will consider the annual National Defense Authorization Act, which we discussed on last week's episode. Meanwhile, the House continues its push to pass the 12 spending bills for fiscal 2020 and an emergency funding bill to address the surge of migrants at the southern border. This episode, however, will focus on weapon sales to Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. The Senate last week passed 22 joint resolutions to block more than $8 billion in arms sales, and the House could begin its consideration of the measures this week amid a debate that also involves growing tensions with Iran. Noreen Chowdhury has been following this for the legislative analyst team, and Roxana Tyrone reports on defense policy for Bloomberg government. They join us now. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having us. Let's start with the basics of these resolutions. Noreen, why does Congress have a role in weapons sales at all, and what do these resolutions actually do? So the um, shared um, control between the executive branch and Congress um, over arms sales dates back to the 1970s with the passage of the Armed Exports Control Act. And under that law, um, the administration is required to notify Congress of any proposed sale of defense articles or services to a foreign government within 30 days before that sale. Um, During that 30-day period, Congress could object to the sale, and in this case, uh, through a joint resolution under certain expedited procedures, which makes it possible for a senator um, to force force a procedural vote, which is what happened uh, last week. Now, these 22 resolutions would block sales of various weapons technologies, including precision-guided munitions and the support for the payway systems um, for the Royal Saudi Air Force. And it, it would also block other arms to the United Arab Emirates, Jordan, and other countries. Um, the resolutions passed the Senate last week, but and it's likely to also pass the Democratic-controlled House, but it's unlikely to have the two-thirds votes necessary to override the presidential veto. Right, because these are joint resolutions, they have to go through the full process, right. just like a, a regular uh, bill. This case is a little bit different from, I guess, your run-of-the-mill arms sale disapproval to the extent that there is a run-of-the-mill one of those. Right. Uh, because the administration invoked emergency authority to proceed without the 30 days. Roxana, what's going on there? So uh, so the administration basically um, used its um, executive powers to uh, bypass Congress. And I think that's the, the main reason why, uh, you know, Senator uh, Menendez, Bob Menendez, decided to, you know, uh, introduce these resolutions because it, it's basically bypassing Congress to, to sell uh, weapons to, to Saudi Arabia in particular. Um, and I think, I think the disagreement here is over the fact that um, Saudi Arabia and, and its ruler has never really uh, come clean on the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, the, the Washington Post columnist uh, who was murdered last year in the Turkish consulate, and also over um, you know, the civil war in Yemen. Um, it, it's obviously a, a, 
you know, the, the, the underlayers are, are really complex here, but basically it's a, it's a proxy war between um, Iran and Saudi Arabia in, in Yemen. And so Saudi Arabia is using American weapons uh, in that civil war, leading to a tremendous amount of uh, civil casualties, um, as well as a humanitarian crisis. So, um, so, you know, Congress has tried to get involved um, you know, in that war, uh, well, not get involved, but trying to, to pull the United States back from, from Yemen and United States involvement. And I think this is just another um, basically rebuke of the Trump administration and its involvement with Saudi Arabia in that, in that region. And so tell us a little more about, you know, you mentioned this proxy war um, and the emergency authority that uh, the administration invoked to finalize these sales without the the 30 days, um, you know, they had cited uh, growing threats from Iran in doing so. So what was um, sort of that dynamic about? I mean, I think I think they're sort of amplified to defeat um, Iran in, in the region. I mean, Iran is, is uh, you know, the Houthis are, are Iranian-backed. There's also, the United States has also cited uh, various threats in the region, including including Iraq, uh, from, from, from Iran, Iran-backed groups. And so this uh, is taking on a much bigger, um, a much bigger situation, basically, where uh, obviously the uh, the United States almost uh, almost struck Iran last week uh, before the president pulled back. Uh, maybe you know, as the New York Times had reported, maybe ten minutes right, ten minutes before the strike. Um, so so it's, it's basically um, it's basically all related to uh, you know. United States attitude uh, towards towards Iran and whether and whether it's like slowly or, or maybe not as slowly entering towards uh, a conflict. We mentioned uh, the the involvement in Yemen, and you mentioned it was a humanitarian crisis. Let's let's talk a little more about the details there, Noreen. You you've written about this. What's what's happening there? Why is the U.S. involved in the Yemeni civil war at all? Um, so basically, um, they got involved um, with the Saudi-led coalition to support, um, you know, Hadi being reinstated as the president of Yemen. And he's the deposed president. Right. You know. He was deposed by the Houthi rebels. And, and in doing so, um, it's also created um, what the U.N. calls as one of the worst humanitarian crises in the sense that nearly 22.8 million people are in need of aid. And when Senator Menendez um, introduced uh, the the resolutions, he had said that Saudi have used these weapons that you know that have been supplied in killing in its innocent civilians in you know in this ongoing campaign against Yemen. There were also a series of similar resolutions um, for sales to Saudi Arabia and other countries um, that were voted down over the last couple of years. Is that correct? Yeah, they were voted down as well, as in they, they weren't even discharged from the committee to proceed to floor debate. And similarly, in April, um, President Trump vetoed a joint resolution barring um, further U.S. support for the Saudi-led coalition in Yemen. And that's likely to be the same fate of, of this this series of joint resolutions, right? Right. And I mean, you wonder why the fate is similar, why this is, you know, even happening in Congress. And I think it's really like forcing a debate on uh, on the administration's Saudi and Yemen policies. And it allows like the opponents to build support for um, any legislative action in the future that might, you know, change how the president has authority over these arms sales. I think also, um, if I may, I, th- I think Congress is, is starting to realize that mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's losing its, its uh, constitutional powers here. 
Um, and and this is not this is not exactly you know a Trump administration issue. I mean, I think that it, this has happened during the Obama administration as well. Uh, probably not to this um, extreme extent, uh, and probably also not because of, of, of the situation with uh, Jamal Khashoggi, with uh, you know the the, the heightened um, crisis in in Yemen. But but Congress is, is slowly realizing that it might use, it might lose its power, and it comes it, it, it comes within a, a much larger debate because Congress has been trying very hard to um, to rein in also uh, the president's uh, war powers as well, um, and there's been efforts, for example, in particular um, with Yemen uh, to try and um, you know basically stop the U.S. involvement there. And so this is another this is another way by saying, look, we're not going to sell you these weapons that are being used against civilians, making this war even worse. Where we're going to try and stop it. And I think you see a lot of, um, you know, obviously the Democrats are all in favor of this, but you do see um, some Republicans uh, voting with the Democrats. And I think I think slowly but surely you will see more Republicans um, coming to the side. I wonder about the parallels between today and when the War Powers Resolution was was first enacted into law in the 1970s. It actually happened over President Richard Nixon's veto. And um, that was Congress reasserting its authority to declare war and and to have oversight over uh, the president's military actions. And I'm curious whether there could be a similar dynamic building up to something else. Right. Um, I oh, think, absolutely. Yeah, I agree with Roxana. Um, if you saw um, the House passed its first minibus last week, and in it there is a provision um, to repeal the 2001 authorization to use military force that's been used as justification for other military operations. And I think lawmakers are trying to, um, you know, prevent Trump from circumventing um, Congress on potential action against Iran. And you've seen this happening in the Obama administration as well. This is—I just want to make clear that this is not just the Trump administration, but you've seen this. They—they uh, they tried to do this um, during uh, President Obama's time as well. The Obama administration had suggested um, a, a rewrite of uh, of the uh, AUMF, um, and uh, Congress just didn't have the appetite because politically, it's it's a it's a very hard vote to take. Um, and so you'll see that the Republican Senate, the Republican-led Senate, doesn't have the appetite to take it up because there you have, um, you know, a, a bunch of lawmakers who think that uh, they shouldn't be tying uh, the president's hands when it comes to uh, especially fighting terrorism, especially fighting Iran. Uh, when, when it comes down to that, they, they want the president to have, um, you know, the freedom to act the best way uh, possible. And so, um, you know, Roxana, we talked to you last week about uh, the NDAA, which is um, on the Senate floor this week, and the House is going to take up after the uh, July 4th recess. Um, So do you see this debate kind of continuing forward um, into that legislation as well? I know we've talked about sort of different uh, stumbling blocks to the NDAA negotiations this year. Um, Is this potentially one of them, too? Yes, absolutely. You have uh, Senator Tim Kaine. He's, he's already um, offered up an amendment to um, repeal uh, the 2001, um, you know, authorization for military force. Um, he's been doing this for years now. The question, however, is getting unanimous consent in the Senate to bring up the amendment. You have, um, you know, the chairman of the Senate Armed Services Committee, who's, who's basically running the bill on the floor. Um, it's, it's a very, very slim chance that this amendment will make it onto uh, the defense authorization bill in the Senate. The House defense authorization bill doesn't have it, but you will see this debate being carried on. The spending bill, 
want to get to negotiations with the Senate. I mean, I think that there's going to be efforts to offer this as an amendment to the Senate spending bill or whatever spending package the, the Senate is, is, is taking up. But once it comes into negotiations with the Senate, I don't think there is a very high chance of, of uh, seeing this uh, become law. Noreen Chowdhury is a legislative analyst with Bloomberg Government, where Roxana Tyrone covers defense policy. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you for having Thanks us. for having us. That does it for this episode. We will be back next week. Thank you for listening to Suspending the Rules. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Find more on the subjects we discussed today and a whole lot more from Bloomberg Government at about.begov.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at BGov. The legislative analyst team is Sarah Babbage, Noreen Chowdhury, Danielle Parnas, Michael Smallberg, and me, Adam Taylor. Our editor is Adam Shank. Nico Enzalata is our sound engineer. Our theme music is Home Organ by Zach Nasita. More information on that can be found at premiumbeat.com. Hey, I'm Adam Allington. I'm the host of a new show from Bloomberg Environment called The Business of Bees. Here's what you need to know about it. We travel around the country talking to people at every corner of the honeybee ecosystem. This is the largest managed pollination event on Earth. In fact, commercial beekeeping is more important to farming than ever before. But bees are also under threat from pesticides and invasive pests and mysterious diseases. It's sort of like Christmas when you go to the hive in December and you open the lid. You just hope somebody's home. If you're interested in bees, too, I think you might like the show. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts.